Determined, a Rethinking Marxism podcast. I am Jared Randall, the production editor for the journal Rethinking Marxism, um, which is uh, putting this podcast together. I'm here with uh, one of my two co-hosts, Malia Safri, uh, RM board member and professor of economics, also a longtime member of the Association for Economic and Social Analysis, uh, the uh, organization that has uh, put out Rethinking Marxism now for uh, over three decades. Uh, Malia, welcome. How are you? I'm good. I'm really excited to be part of this podcast. This journal, the 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 parent for this podcast, has been my intellectual home. It has been the place of all my comrades and friendships, mm. and I have learned so much in helping produce this journal and reading it. To be honest, uh, before even when I was a grad student, so it it has been. Uh, I've been with this project for a long time, and. I kind of think it's high time we entered this new format. Yeah, yeah. I, same with all that. Um, yeah, it's it's amazing how the, the years have piled up in a good way um, for, you know, thinking back. And it, we're also here with our other co-host, Ryan Watt, um, a student of films and really doing a lot of thinking uh, these days in you know emergent modes of, of storytelling and narrative and in film and I think even beyond uh, Ryan welcome also and uh, to, you know here we are here we are yeah thank you for that uh, introduction yeah um, film and thinking about narrative was actually how I came to Marxism in the first place because I think as we all know there aren't really many formal avenues through which undergrads can kind of enter into discussions with Marxism. And uh, it was actually the work of uh, Frederick Jameson and uh, his books on narrative, uh, you know, Signatures of the Visible, and then ultimately The Political Unconscious that got me interested in this. And then from that, I came to know Rethinking Marxism and uh, a lot of the great stuff that Rick Wolf has done on and offline to sort of um, bring those discussions to people like me and people out there who are intellectually curious. So I am very happy and proud to be hopefully a part of that. Yeah. So uh, Stephen Resnick and, and Richard Wolf, just to, just to make sure that our audience, you know, is aware um, again, uh, you know, Stephen Resnick, unfortunately, you know, passed away, you know, some years ago, but uh, Richard Wolf still, um, you know, very active in, you know, uh, in uh, popular economics, you know, from a, from a Marxist perspective, un unapologetically Marxist perspective, um, you know, uh, giving talks and, you know, on YouTube and, and such uh, a very big part of democracy at work. And so, yeah, uh, as Malia, you kind of mentioned already the you know purposes the purpose of this podcast uh, related to its format, also trying to get to uh, you know a, a wider audience, also you know maybe more timeliness in in uh, addressing things that are happening 
out in the real world. An academic journal is a, is a, a slow moving machine uh, that can take a bit of time. And uh, so, yeah, we've been interested in, in doing more of that. And, and of course, from RM and, and ACE's approach to, uh, you know, from a political economic perspective uh, regarding societal critique. Um, and that kind of gets us also to, to the name of the podcast, um, kind of down in the roots of this whole project from the beginning is the term uh, overdetermined. Um, I mean, sorry. Um, so I was going to say that, um, you know, for me, overdetermined is not, it's a, so, such a crucial term for thinking about the theoretical tradition that has been so important to the project of Association for Economic and Social Analysis and also to the journal, right? Um, when I, when as I studied with Resnick and Wolf and understood how it was that they were trying to use this term, and I think that it kind of was a hand grenade in two different ways, theoretical hand grenade, right? One was in economics, uh, the kind of effect that it had on a mainstream understanding of uh, causal relations, self-interested people cause certain actions. Self the actions of self-interested people cause the market dynamics of supply and demand that determines prices and values and there's a sort of almost mechanical way that economics is usually taught. And the concept of overdetermination, I think, gets right to a fundamental critique of that because there is an, a different understanding of a social ontology where it is not causal relations, but actually, I mean, in two ways, uh, either mutual constitution, this, this was a, a, often an, an example used by Resnick and Wolf, that Prices will yeah. shape value, but value will also shape prices. Um, and then coming back, going back to Althusser, who was an important philosopher for this tradition, of course, overdetermination is not just sort of mutual causality, but it is it involves something else: condensation and displacement of meaning, and what that all means in a political sense. Th these are the kinds of questions that come out when you start to use this concept of overdetermination. And inside Marxism, I think yeah. it had another kind of huge effect, right? Which was to really right, right. open the centrality of class, the exclusive, let's say, centrality of class. And instead we understand right. that there's a few entry points that of course, there are many entry points that can be used to under, understand any economic process or society. And, and I think in a, in, a, in a way, the journal itself is connected to that project, but not in, in a, I'm, I'm gonna divide that and say two other things, right? One is that the journal wanted to definitely make space for that kind of scholarship because that was not at that time the a prevalent or well-researched kind of scholarly tradition. But then we also wanted the journal to be sectarian right. and not just have one tradition that they only publish work from that tradition. So, you know, we, we both wanted to be a space for Marxist debate that was 
let's say, different than some of our more dogmatic journal comrades uh, who do one strain. And if you're not in that strain, you're never going to get your work published. So that was not definitely our approach. But but we so we but we also recognize that there is a tradition that we think has a lot to to offer in terms of valuable and insightful both analysis and moving forward certain social movements. That's always been another key area, right, for for the journal. Um, right, right. It, bringing in, you know, Marx's, you know, critique of everything, you know, again, bringing in lots of different voices, which, you know, definitely it seems like at the time of the founding of the journal was, you know, in the air in general, I think, um, but to kind of bring that into Marxism um, in that opening up seems important to the project. Yeah, we have a, a whole new set of, you know, we have a special issue coming out soon, hopefully that will be about, you know, the articulation between racial capitalism and post-capitalism. So, you know, the, the idea of race as an entry point that, uh, and how, how might that affect class? I, these are all questions that have definitely been covered inside the journal and there's more to say for sure about all of them. Yeah, yeah. And so again, we've just been slowly putting together this project. Um, Ryan and, and, and I, especially kind of on the, the technical side of it. Um, and so Ryan, in terms of, you know, the format um, and thinking about what folks can expect. Yeah. Um, well, you know, attempting to kind of keep with what we all just said has uh, been the content of the journal ju- thus far. Um Many of the episodes that listeners can expect in the future will feature interviews with everyone from academics to hopefully artists and activists. Uh, Mm -hmm. And generally, while we will be your three hosts, uh, we might even be the ones conducting the interview at times, we will make uh, a very brave attempt to sort of step into the background and allow those conversations to uh, flourish and happen in the foreground. I think you're going to see that with our zero podcast (laughs) and our issue zero as well. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And so, and it kind of, which is a good segue into, you know, introducing then uh, the excerpt that we have for you uh, in this issue zero of uh, an interview, uh, our uh, Rethinking Marxism's own Matthew Flissfader interviewed uh, Slavoj Žižek, um, and it's it's been a while back, uh, as again, we've been kind of putting things together, and we're, you know, getting to the point of releasing this, so we wanted to get an excerpt out there of a, a particularly, I think, timely piece of that interview. It was timely at the time, perhaps, um, and again, uh, this is certainly uh, a more rapid response than uh, what we get to do as a journal, and hopefully it will become uh, even more rapid as we get going, where we feel like we're really uh, in the conversation as it happens a little bit more. Uh, but again, just dealing with the current conjuncture, the enclosure of the commons especially comes in this expert, uh, this excerpt, excuse me, and uh, again, also talking about the this kind of the post-pandemic return to normal. So again, here's an excerpt um, of uh, a bit of the interview 
with uh, Slavoj Žižek, which will uh, feature in our first full issue of the podcast. Uh, listen in. What, what are Amazon, uh, uh, Microsoft, and so on? These guys privatized the commons. But nonetheless, they are the commons. Like, we talk now because we participate in Microsoft. Most of our books we buy on Amazon. So a common space in a privatized forum is Mm -hmm. emerging. That's why, as I always repeat, I agree with those Italian Marxist economists who claim that that, uh, now we have a tendency back from profit to rent. Bill Gates is not getting his money. He's not extra exploiting his workers or whoever. He's even probably paying them relatively well. No, it's rent. Rent from owning our commons. Zuckerberg, the same. The commons of flirting, private conversation, blah, blah, blah. You have to go through Facebook. Incidentally, I don't. I don't have a Facebook account. I don't have an Instagram account. Especially, I don't have a Tinder account for obvious reasons and so on. But what I want to say is that, you see, be, when I said communism, I don't mean some utopian tendency. I'm saying just look what is happening with today's capitalism, how it is in a way in a panic. They knew they cannot go on the way they do. So one solution is this, privatization of commons, which means new forms of global social control. The other way is this Trump, Bolsonaro, barbarian way. We don't care. Even if people die, let's go on. Let's stick to normality and so on and so on. But I think we should never forget this. Now, the second that these are already reactions to what I call a communist threat. Now, that thing that I hear is But wait a minute, this is just a temporary measure, like in a war, when things will return to normal. Well, here I'm more of a pessimist. I don't think that things will return to normal. I think we are in it. Not only because, as we see now, the uh, uh, COVID is just dragging on. I wrote about this, maybe it should be interesting to to our listeners. You know... It would be nice to study all this through the notions of temporality. You remember a year ago, the most popular unit of time was two weeks. When they introduced new measures, they said, just for two weeks, it will be hard, then it will get better. In the summer, it moved to two months. Two months, it will be difficult, then it will get better. Then in the fall, it moved to half a year. Like around New Year, they said, maybe if we behave well next summer. Now, even big public heroes like Fauci, they are moving further and further away they go. Didn't Fauci said even in uh, 2022, we will still need masks and so on. So not only does this drag on, but what I worry much more is this general depression and disorientation. As I wrote somewhere a year ago, the first panic, wasn't it almost a 
retroactively from today's standpoint. Can't uh, panic. We were just afraid, like shit, what is happening and trying to survive. But then something different is emerging, a strange mixture of fatigue, I don't care, just go on, to some kind of a depressive permissivity, who knows what will be, let's just go. And it's, a, it's a terrible, terrible situation, I think. And I don't see a clear way out, not to mention the next, the forthcoming uh, ecological crisis and so on and so on. So I think we are, that's my dogma, in the middle of an incredibly important political process. Here I disagree with otherwise my good friend Alain Badiou, who he wrote almost a year ago a text on COVID where his line was, it's a pure medical emergency, no special chance for progressive forces. We just should obey those, should obey the medical establishment, follow the measure, and then when things will return to normal, blah, blah. No, I think things are changing so radically now. Right, great. So again, the full issue uh, containing the Zizek interview with uh, Matthew Flisvader, uh, RM uh, board member, um, is you know it's 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 coming. Uh, we hope very soon. Uh, it's been since March actually that we recorded initially. So again, the perils of starting a podcast. Uh, sometimes you get into things neck deep before you know. Uh, how to do everything? We are we are on our way now, and uh, in and it's so it's interesting to think about this now. A few months later is why I bring that up, because again, it was uh, uh, at the time of recording, very kind of current, um, and so I just kind of want to you know point that out that uh, at this point it seems like it's become uh, fairly accepted. Um, or at least it's, it's been a very much a topic of conversation. It's no secret that there doesn't seem to be a new normal, um, that we're in it. And, uh, and yeah, so it's, um, here we are, um, staring, you know, down the throat of summer 2021 and no normal in, in, in sight. I mean, I think he does two things it tells in the, the the thing that you just said is that he's he is on that new common sense that we are all converging on that this is the new condition of life mm-hmm. uh, that there's the, he, I think maybe he, he throws Badio a little bit under the bus because he says Badio is you know mistakenly said this like almost a year ago and you know poor Badio probably right. wouldn't even say that again. But the first thing that he says, which is about the commons and how the commons has been absolutely privatized right now, that's where I think it's interesting. And in some way, we can also see this almost always there small blind spot, which is Mm. for, for Zizek. Which is that he talks about the commons as though, and and he's right and accurate in saying that they, the digital commons have been privatized by the likes of Amazon and Facebook and, you know, so on. Um, 
but that hmm. now, so he he's right that that has happened, but and and yeah, it's helpful to think that way, right? It is. I mean, it's accurate. It's just accurate. But but then mm-hmm. there's this other mm-hmm. problem, which is that there's other ways to do, deal with govern and manage the commons that you know for for a lot of mainstream economists there was this understanding that the commons it was almost common sense that the co- commons should be privatized that that was the efficient way mm-hmm. to govern the commons that comes out of Garrett Hardin and <laughs> the tragedy of the commons in 1968 which formed mm-hmm. the almost the bedrock of how economists came to approach this but then it took Ostrom and all these common property resource scholars to say but that's that's actually not the only way that people have dealt with the commons and there hap- there there are other there are of course three she looks at three big ways right one is privatization the other one is state regulation and administration and ownership of the commons so it doesn't belong to anybody but it belongs to the state and then the third is something else some self governance maybe post capitalist maybe communist mm-hmm. maybe something else and she does a lot of work mm-hmm. on looking at what all those other something else's are. And so this is where I think we start to see in Zizek, he he can't really quite get to those other two. He's good, he's very accurate, and he's right in diagnosing what has happened to the digital commons, but he is not, I mean, we haven't gotten to the, okay, but what would be our our way of retaking the commons? or what are other possibilities but maybe that's yeah. something we can get to in in a second issue yeah absolutely and you know uh hopefully we'll uh we'll be able to have uh Zizek back on at another point i know it, it was definitely a conversation that um you know, really could have gone on longer. Um, and I think even tried to, uh, but we, uh, you know, well, I think literally, um, you know, uh, it was hard outs. Um, so hopefully we can come back to that. There'll be some interesting, um, um, sort of, uh, uh, furtherance of those topics and especially interested in that, that idea of the common sense too, that, uh, that he ends up talking about. So again, the, the full future episode or of uh, issue one of our podcast overdetermined will be out. Uh, um, like hopefully this uh, issue zero free on um, as many different major podcast platforms as we can get it on. Um, and uh, we hope that you will uh, tune in uh, for the full interview uh, coming soon. Yeah, like Jared said, you can catch us wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. And if you want to interact with us on future conversations, you can do so uh, through our Facebook and Twitter. And you can check out our website at rethinkingmarxism.org. So um, I think that's the show. And thanks for listening and stay tuned. Thank you.